Hello, everyone. Welcome to That Ass Podcast, Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series, or in this case, Batman Beyond. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me as always is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Good to be here, man. I was trying to think of a clever way to begin this, and I'm out of ideas. So if you have anything <laughs> random to throw at me, let's hear it. I... Do not. So we will. Uh, we're talking about two episodes today. We're talking about Final Cut and The Last Resort, which has cut my life into pieces. So we will take a quick break and we will come back with Final Cut. Lesson number one, Kudare. Always hold on to your weapon. Okay, in Final Cut, which is uh, written story by Hillary J. Bader and Alan Burnett, teleplay by Hillary J. Bader, written uh, directed by Butch Lukic, and in this one, Bruce is out of town and incommunicado, <clears throat> pardon my voice, I have a cold, when Kirare returns to Neo-Gotham, hunting down the last of her former society after the failure of her last mission marked her for death. Kirare's target, the last surviving member of the League of Assassins, <clears throat> Forces Batman to protect him. Protect him. Oh, right. Sorry. Forces Batman to protect him from Curare's wrath by planting a bomb equipped with a dead man switch somewhere in the city. Things only get more complicated as Max gets herself involved in an already volatile situation. I don't know if the bomb has a dead man switch on it because it doesn't go off when the guy dies. So, yeah, that's a good point. It's funny because this is the episode that you and I were looking forward to. We we knew there had to be one where. Um, Max has to figure out who Bruce Wayne is, and she just knows apparently. Yes, yes. <laughs> with no explanation. <laughs> She's like, "Let me guess, it's Bruce Wayne." I figured it out right away, and they never explain. All right, but how? You know? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's one of those things where you can probably drop the facade here and there in comic in like comic book logic, where it's like, yeah, he's the richest guy in the the, the city. There's really only one person it could possibly be. Right, but. Then everyone would figure it out. That's, like, yeah, it, I know. It's there's an opportunity for her to have an interesting story about how she figured it out, and they didn't do anything, which disappointed well, me. Well, but like, why does it matter? I would say, you know, it, I I think it matters when she finds out that Terry's Batman, but it doesn't. I mean, mm-hmm. she doesn't have any connection to Bruce Wayne. I don't really know if it matters that much. But I would imagine the uh, there could be a great episode where she figures it out, and Bruce is not happy, and he denies it, and then he wants her. Uh, Terry to cut ties with her, and Terry doesn't want to do it. Like you just left a lot on the table. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, after after the way that they presented it here, I don't I don't really know if if I if I care that much. I actually I think what they did in this episode outside of that one element is more interesting to me. Um, I like that they they gave Max sort of an episode where she has. Uh, you know she's come come at this with a very cavalier attitude uh, mm-hmm. lately, and I was kind of happy that they actually gave her an episode where she kind of gets in over her head and has to deal with uh, what it actually might mean to do this stuff. Right. Yeah, I did like that in the ending, especially where she's like, "How do you do this and not tell everybody that you just saved the world?" <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will say. It's nice to see Tim Curry on the show. 
But uh, <laughs> was that him? Was that him? That sh- it sure was. Um, okay. I don't know what the fuck that accent he was doing was. <laughs> so I thought it was Tim Curry, and then I'm like, no, this show can't afford Tim Th- Curry. Uh, and then I'm like, what is this? Some Russian accent or a British accent or someone who grew up in Africa in a country that was British? And I don't know what it was. <laughs> I've heard Tim Curry. Maybe he was doing this on purpose because I feel like I've seen him in stuff where he's doing a much better Russian accent. Yeah, I I don't know. I think maybe he was just like, let's try some shit and see what comes out because it was. It's yeah. it sounds like uh, <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like Russian. It sounds a little South African. Mm-hmm. I I could see him maybe thinking like, okay, maybe this is a man of the world. So who knows where he's really from? Maybe he's got a little bit of everything in there, which is. Yeah. Interesting, like in an actor's brain sense, but yeah. once you start right. saying words, although I mean, yeah. maybe the, the character's name is Mutro Botha, which is mm. a Star Wars ass name if I've ever heard one. So I don't, I mean, maybe he was looking That's at this going, point. like, I don't know where this guy's supposed to be from. Yeah. It's funny, uh, living in a city in Boston, I was in New York, and when you meet someone, you eventually, when I meet a white person on the street, I never expect them to speak English in in, in New York because you never know if they're going to spit out a Russian accent at you or something else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you just sort of get used to that living in a city. And uh, every now and then, you, you ever heard, like, you meet someone who's Asian and you, when they start speaking, you can definitely hear the Asian. And then you start to pick up a little bit of British too. And you're like, whoa, this is confusing me because the face says Asian and the vo- the voice mostly says Asian and then there's British in here or meaning um, an African-American person who learned English with, through in Ireland. It's like, whoa, yes, keep, so you've got some, I don't know, I'm digging on my, my grave here, whatever. We all know this is true. I'm always fascinated by it because it shows how <laughs> how you stereotype what you expect to hear. Sure. And when you hear it, you start to go through like, wait, what else am I getting here? Like, oh yeah, I suppose that African people could learn English in Northern Ireland and have this kind of weird mix of three languages. I just find that stuff really fascinating. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, the the it, it is. I'm not really sure where to go with that, but yes, I, I agree. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is funny because there is a. Uh, <laughs> I I said something really stupid on on the Rotten Horror Picture Show podcast when we were mm-hmm. um, we were doing uh, uh, one of. Uh, Peter Jackson's early movies, uh, Dead Alive, and yeah. the the female lead in it is um, she's L- Latina, and mm-hmm. I I it didn't in the movie shot in New Zealand. Everybody is in is in there in the movie is from New Zealand, but this mm-hmm. girl has a, a, a Hispanic accent, and I it like totally threw me for a loop because I was like does does I didn't even know. Latinos were in New Zealand. I like it was one right. of those things where it's so the accent yeah. is so ubiquitous that when it was broken by a different one, it completely threw my brain for a loop. Even though right. me saying that is asinine, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, and I, we're admitting our own ignorance here, and that's why this is, I think, okay to talk about. Um, but your brain, when you start hearing someone talk, your brain wants to put them in a new category. Yeah. So if you start hearing British, your brain you switches over. Like, all right, I'm prepared to hear British now for a few paragraphs, and then. When you don't hear quite what you expect, you hear a bit of North Africa, and your brain's like, "Wait, what? What am I hearing?" You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like, uh, do you remember that Seinfeld episode where Jerry's dating that the the girl whose yeah. last name is like Lee, and his mother right. every time she her mother talks to her on the phone, she thinks she's getting advice right. from an Asian woman, <laughs> she's and she trying. keeps she keeps changing her L's to R's as well. <laughs> oh, what? I don't remember that. 
Yeah, there was one line, and Jerry does like a double take because he's starting to get annoyed with her. And he, it culminates in his line, you know, you're not Chinese. If you remember that part. I don't remember that part. <laughs> yeah, not only is she leaning into people ex- thinking that she's Asian on the phone, but she also stop, stops using L's when she speaks every now and then. Oh, which wow. Pisses Jerry off. Yeah. yeah that I, might not fly these days. But no, it, definitely it was pretty not. funny at the time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, we have uh, uh, going after Mutro Botha is the returning mm. curare, which uh, um, I feel like this season has had a few. This has been a, a big season for returning characters, which makes sense. It's the second the second mm-hmm. season. They kind of set these guys up in the first season. <clears throat> um, yeah. I, I mean, overall, I really like this episode. I This was... Uh, I mean, it, it, didn't, it didn't blow me away, but as far as mm. episodes of this show that used their entire runtime to tell a story, yeah. there was a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I wasn't sure if I like it or not. I, I, I don't know if I was just tired or having a hard time paying attention but my brain was thinking this is probably a three Mm -hmm. but if you're more into it then maybe i missed something yeah it just it was um for for so many of these episodes that uh like i think this is a good contrast with the next one because the next one Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't really care for that much and i think the the difference to me is this one had multiple things going on with multiple characters who were involved at, at like at interesting levels and um you know you you get uh not you have kirare going after these guys and then this the guy, only guy who's left comes to terry and he's like if if i'm done you're next and i've also planted a bomb and then they kill the guy like she 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 gets him yeah. which i wasn't yeah. expecting to happen right so now and- terry has to deal with kirare and a bomb and you've yeah. got uh max in the mix kind of she's figuring out that this stuff is pretty intense, uh, more intense than maybe she thought it was. So I, there's just a, a lot going on when usually it's 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 more of like, here's one thing yeah. that Terry has to deal with, and then you know he kind of punches at it for yeah. a bit, and then it's over. I, there was one very not Batman moment that kind of annoyed me. It's when this assassin guy flags Batman down. He explains the situation. He says, there's an assassin. This person's going to kill me. I need you to help me. And Batman basically says, I look forward to seeing your name in the obituaries. <laughs> <laughs> I, I boiled it down, but that's basically what Batman says walking away. And I feel like traditionally Batman would still try. He goes out of his way to save criminals' lives mm-hmm. all the time. Like, I'm surprised Terry would react that way. I don't know. That feels pretty on brand for Terry. I don't know about Bruce, but for <laughs> right. Terry's okay, a, a much more angry kind of Batman. Uh, yeah. As, as we've noted Multiple times in the in the extreme violence he perpetrates on these guys sometimes. Yeah, like he's not angry in how he thinks or his disposition because he's got a kid's voice for the most part. Right. He sounds like a kid trying to sound like an adult, which makes him very, I don't know, it, it makes him very young feeling and very, I don't know. He, then, he, But he gets angry through actions. Like the fact that he... Um, He's risking so many uh, lives every time that he takes someone down or something's mm-hmm. falling from a building. Or like, there's a lot of there should be a lot of dead bodies in his wake. Luckily, there's none. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, he's very angry in actions, and he has his moments where he really lashes out. But mostly, I find him a very like a, a lighter type of character, especially compared to Bruce. Yeah. What's What's interesting about him is, um, I feel like Batman. I might be 
generalizing incorrectly, but I feel like based on the cartoon, Batman, the thing that makes Batman a little bit different from a lot of other superheroes, at least the ones that have superpowers, is he doesn't have a lot of, a ton of collateral damage that come along, mm-hmm. comes along with him, despite what the Batman Devastation Fund might, might claim. <laughs> right. But like, if Superman is, is going against somebody, there's usually a building that falls down. Whereas right. Batman, a lot of the times, there's not a lot of that co- collateral damage where he's actively putting a, a ton of people in danger. Mm-hmm. Right. I think part mostly because of his lack of superpowers. But Terry, right. Terry has this extra set of powers that, it, um, yeah, you're right. That uh, gives him or, or opens his uh, his the wake that he leaves a bit more. Yeah. So he ends up yeah. having a lot more collateral sort of situations that he's in. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. That's very well said. Batman's sort of like a... a, Tries to be more of a surgeon. Go in, minimal damage. I'm just one guy. I'm human. I've got a pouch with stuff in it, but I'm not flying through buildings, and I don't have the ability to just level blocks of the city with a blink of an eye. And um, it's sort of like... uh, I guess what you're saying is Superman... Even though he tries to be, he's he's a good guy. Even though he might try to not leave a lot of collateral damage, you know, if, if you're showing up with an M16, it's going to do the damage of an M16. Right? You know? Yeah. Like, there's no light touch when you show up with big weapons, and Superman's a big weapon, and so is uh, Terry with uh, the suit on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I found really funny about this episode is. Uh, <clears throat> So Kirare is 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 sent is trying to kill these guys, but they stop just short of her actively killing them. But mm. the the solution that they come up with for what she does so, to them so dumb is well, it's not only it's not only that it's so much more horrifying than if she had just killed them. She throws this weird like gel capsule on them that. Mm turns into this green goo that releases vapors that wipes their minds but they look like desiccated corpses at the end like their eyes go white and their mouth they're bait they're essentially dead but they uh every they make the point of saying like oh nope they're still alive but he's just yeah yeah. it would be way too violent to have this guy die yeah it's contort his face and erase his memory it's so much more horrifying what what they end up doing i also wouldn't when she shows up to kill the guy with the green uh, eyepiece, he's like, you're fine that I'm a lot harder to kill than the other people you've taken down. Ha ha ha. And she flicks a pill out of his chest and it hits him. And then the vapors knock him out. And I just find like an assassin can't dodge a pill. <laughs> I found it very underwhelming, her MO. Yeah, the the delivery, the delivery system for that could probably have uh, used a second draft, I think. Yeah. I think the problem essentially is they designed this cool character who uses a sword sharpened with lasers, <laughs> but they really can't have her use it unless she's slicing up furniture. Right. Yeah. So they have to have a way for her to hurt this guy that's not too, you know, R-rated. So they come up with this like basically a Joker flower spray, but it's in capsule form, and she flicks it like a booger at these guys <laughs> and hits them on the chest, and then they die or their their brains are melted. <laughs> yeah, it's like in. Um... The second Ninja Turtles movie, when they wanted to to make it a little bit less dark, so Leonardo mm-hmm. never actually uses his swords; he just uses sticks instead. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I thought I I haven't seen them for a while. Wasn't Michelangelo not allowed to use nunchucks for a while too? Ooh, I don't know. He does beat somebody up with salami in the second movie. 
So yeah. that might be them trying to get around the nunchucks. I don't know. Because the only one so, I specifically I, remember is Leonardo because he very pointedly has two bladed weapons that he does not yeah. use in the movie. So I'm tempted to look this up, but I don't want people to sit through a Google search. But I remember talking with a friend who was in animation back in the early aughts. We lived, and I lived in Hollywood. He was really excited about this Ninja Turtle movie, the one that came out in like 2005 or six mm-hmm. or before that maybe. And uh, I can't remember if Michelangelo was using his nunchucks or not, but my friend was telling me that using nunchucks is problematic because the sale of nunchucks in most states is illegal. Mm -hmm. They're just too dangerous, and people hurt themselves with them. Right. And I never looked that up because, yeah, it was 2003 or 2004. Like, it was before you would just go to your phone and check things, (laughs) That's something I've heard for a long time because as a a child growing up in the 90s, who uh, <clears throat> very much was proving that hypothesis correct. I wanted nunchucks like you would not believe, but they were uh, illegal. So I'm looking this up. Use, oh my God, he's spelled nunchuck. Come on. Turtles can't, Michael, no, 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 no. As the British version of the show would not allow nunchaku to appear with Michelangelo. Is nunchaku another word for nunchucks? Uh, yes, yeah. Okay. Up until 2019, four states had laws banning personal nunchuck usage, including okay. Arizona, California, New York, and Massachusetts. Ah, okay. However, the bans in Arizona and New York were overturned, and now only California and Massachusetts have laws limiting their use. I've got, um, beginning in season four, the show started phasing away Michelangelo's nunchucks and began having him use the turtle line a turtle shell shaped grappling hook used by all the turtles as his main weapon. Okay. Starting in season five, uh, the nunchucks were not even kept on Michelangelo's belt and disappeared without an, any explanation. Okay. Sure. And but under, aren't, uh, aren't fucking swords dangerous too? Especially yes. when you have two of them. Yeah. Arguably more <laughs> so than nunchucks. Yes. <laughs> I don't, yeah, there's more to this, but, uh, we should have, look this up more because i find this stuff actually pretty interesting under under why why are nunchucks illegal it says uh because of the dangerous nature of these weapons so (laughs) two pieces of wood joined by a rope and chain illegal (laughs) yeah but uh you know let's just say let's just say no one ever shot up a school with a pair of nunchucks is all i'm gonna say giant bow staff fine rope fine Mm -hmm. making the bow staff short and detaching them rope not okay nope Nope, not cool. <laughs> Get the nope. fuck out of here. You're under arrest. You two, grab those swords, grab two katanas, and you move along. Two tiny fine. two tiny forks <laughs> that each have three spears on them. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. This Now, I'm curious, too. I, I, so when I took Taekwondo, I remember using nunchucks, and I have a pair of <clears throat> soft nunchucks they're like nerf nunchucks mm-hmm. they're good to practice with and yeah it's a pretty dumb weapon because you can you're more likely to hit yourself than your opponent um but to go as far as they have to ban these things and then to affect children's entertainment over decades it's just so weird to me i would i would like to go on the record and say they are not a dumb weapon because and i would also <laughs> like to thank i would like to thank john wick four for bringing nunchucks back into the public eye because holy mm. shit that nunchuck yeah. scene in John Wick Four, unbelievable. I don't, mm-hmm. I can't even remember the last time I saw nunchucks used in a movie, and I was so happy to see them in that movie. Right. <clears throat> yep, that's fair. Especially um, when he wrapped it around his hand and started using it as like brass knuckles. Awesome. 
Yeah, man. I enjoyed that. It's funny how they got a, they're it's, they're having a hard time topping themselves every time now because they keep raising the bar in themselves, you know. And there was something nice about the first movie, which was a little bit more reserved and contained. And now it's just full on gung fu with bulletproof jackets. <laughs> oh, the jackets! The bulletproof jackets are the dumbest thing. They are so silly. <laughs> You said it best. When they have to hide their face, they pull up their collar like Dracula. Yeah, they're like <laughs> hobbling around in a half crouch with like, with a the cape over their face like Dracula, like trying to shoot over the top. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. I want to block your bullets. <laughs> yeah, it's so it it's like, so it's like, silly. It looked like Nicolas Cage and Renfeld. <laughs> um, the other uh, one thing in this episode that stood out to me as being possibly a poor choice on Kirara's part is when she jumps out of the plane and fires up her jetpack that she has underneath her giant flowing cape. I feel like those uh, two things are not very compatible with each other. Well, Clay, uh, it's a fireproof long cape, ah. which obviously, yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, in that case, yes. <laughs> yeah. Do we ever understand why she's blue? Um, I don't remember. I can't remember if it was if she was like... Now I gotta go Google something. All right. No, no I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy. I'm always a sucker for characters that are colored blue. I don't know why. Any kind of aliens. Like whenever I go to my aliens, I always go like blue, light blue alien for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a fan of Avatar at all. So I think I've gotten away from that for a while. Uh, nobody knows her identity. Um. She's got a cool look. I like her lanky, long limbs, her giant shoulders. I kind of like that they never show her face. Yeah. She has kind of an Egyptian vibe. Um, I imagine that the first few sketches of her, they're like, let's make her more of like an assassin with that Egyptian thing on her face. Let's make her a slightly darker skin. But they maybe wanted it to look more sci-fi. So they're like, let's make her a color. Let's make her blue. Yeah, I guess it doesn't doesn't say really why she looks the way that she does or... Yeah. There's implication that she has a horrible face under her mask, but uh, right. the only person who's ever seen it is Terry, and we don't see it on screen. Yeah, I could. This is a whole other podcast, but I'm not. I love swords, but the usage of swords in sci-fi usually it's pretty thoughtless, mm-hmm. unless it comes to Dune, where they have a really good reason why they all use swords and knives. Otherwise, I know. I think the concept art leads the way like they they just don't want to get rid of the ideas of swords even though it doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. if everyone else has blasters and guns but i don't know that's a whole side (laughs) discussion well you know i think we talked about it before actually sword as obi-wan kenobi says is much more graceful than a crude blaster or something like that i forget what the the line is that's actually pretty good reason you know when he delivers that line you do buy it and he's not wrong because swords are still used for ceremonial purposes well, I mean, I, it, why why would anybody use knives in a world where guns exist, I guess? You know, it's the same kind right. of... Yeah. You know, knives still exist, so I don't know. I mean, and well, swords, swords they, look cool, so... That's the reason. Yeah. The reason is they look cool. It's not a logical choice. It's just a, well, we want swords because they look awesome, so let's just find a way to make it make sense. But Dune does it the best because everyone has this armor that can stop object like bullets coming near them but if you go near them slowly then you can pierce the armor so that's why everyone has to trade with knives is because if you ever get into hand-to-hand combat a gun won't work anymore and i thought that was great 
But most sci-fi doesn't really go out of their way to explain why there are so many swords around. Yeah, I can't wait for the new Highlander reboot where they all wear <laughs> sword-proof jackets. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Did you say Blade Runner or Highlander? Highlander. Okay, awesome. <laughs> um, so you have Connor McCloud ho- holding his suit jacket up over his face while he tries to swing his sword at somebody. This is what I should have talked about in the opener, how I'm going to Fargo to try to meet Highlander and oh, see yeah. if I can... Yeah, I'll talk about this after we're done with the episode. Well, don't bury the lead there. We know why you're going to Fargo, and it's not to meet the Highlander, but we'll talk about that when you get to it. <clears throat> um, so what would you draw in this? I don't know. This is a, this is a tough one, because they, they have this great fight sequence at the end. I, I, I thought it was really, really good when they're, when they're in the, uh, uh, the museum there. <laughs> And uh, Terry and Kirari are fighting amongst all the old military mm-hmm. vehicles and bombs and stuff while, uh, while yeah. Max is trying to figure out how to defuse the bomb. But I saw that and I said, do not want to draw that at all. Yeah. It's putting that many different types of vehicles in one room and requiring so many different camera angles. Mm-hmm. No, not for me. Yeah. Um, planes are really hard to draw because most objects around you if you rotate them around they generally still have the same shape like if you grab a mug or um you know a pot you can turn it around and it generally still looks like the object itself yeah but planes if you zoom in on the wing or you have the camera mounted on the tail the tail is huge and the cockpit's small and then it like changes shape as you rotate it 360 and zoom in and out and there's those really wild objects like that that are very pointy and have like cantilevered edges and what on it. So planes are, if you're drawing them from far away, they're a little bit easier. But when you start getting up close to them and the wings start getting huge or the wheels, whatever it is, there's a whole other part of the brain, I feel like, that kicks in when you're starting to render that stuff, which I enjoy the challenge. But a plane museum, uh, yeah, I'm going to need a bit more time on that one. <laughs> I am a fan of the Red Baron plane. I've never actually drawn that. Oh, the like the biplane look? Yeah, yeah, the bright scarlet black. Actually, no, in uh, The Wake with Scott Snyder, I think I might have drawn one, but I tweaked it with like bigger guns and sci-fi things and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I there's a scene where she gets onto an airplane at the beginning, and uh, she's on the uh, gear as the plane starts to pull up and the gear goes in, and I actually thought that would be a fun panel to draw, but I'm crazy about tech and stuff, and I know that's like everyone's least favorite panel to draw. <laughs> I was actually thinking uh, that I, I like that fight inside the airplane, and yeah. I especially liked when she cuts the door open and then the airplane sucks her out. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. That would be fun to do. Yeah. She just cuts an X into the door, and somehow that's all she needs to do to like unlock the hinges and whatever. Yeah, it's just you know <laughs> let the, the, the vacuum of outside the plane do the rest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She just calmly grabs a handle like she's on a subway and everyone else gets blown out the hole. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, actually, the one thing I would love to draw, because I, I would love to know why they put this in the episode, is when Max goes to uh, toss the room of uh, Mutro Botha. And uh, when she after she can't find what she's looking for, she sits down on the bed and just casually picks up a candy bar that's on his nightstand and just eats it. Yeah, did she bring that? I don't think so. Okay. And then after yeah. that, she steals, a, he's, she steals his cash card. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was just I, such a weird detail. Like, I, the only reason she does yeah. it, I think, is because she throws 
the wrapper trash. into the trash, and then she dumps yeah. the trash. It's just so strange to have her yeah. just eat <laughs> eat a random candy bar that was on this guy's <laughs> night table. Yeah, I looked up at that part, and I just assumed I missed the part where she pulled it out of her pocket or something. I don't. I don't think so. I could be wrong. Yeah. But there's a couple cool shots in this episode too. They they go to like a, <clears throat> much like John Wick Four, they go to a top down kind of animation thing when they, mm. for some of the action shots, which I thought were pretty good. And there was one yeah. static shot that was that was a little bit more considered than I feel like these shows usually are, where uh, Terry was talking to Max, and he's sitting on the arm of the couch, and they're shooting Max through his armpit basically like he's got his leg kicked out and his arm mm-hmm. is up and so you can see her through through the hole of his arm and leg and chest mm-hmm. i thought that was kind of a, a nicely composed shot yeah yeah there's some decent animation in both these episodes but uh what, what would you give this one uh i don't know i was thinking a three but you made some good points so maybe a four yeah i'm gonna go four on this one this was one that stood out to me as as being uh there's just a, a, a the story was pretty fun yeah. and well considered and and had more going on than these usually do. So I just wish there was more uh, distrust between Bruce Wayne and her. Mm-hmm. I feel like they I know you don't agree, but I feel like they've left some possible drama on the table and uh, put Terry in an uncomfortable position where he needs to pick sides. You know, having that as a subplot, I feel like would have gotten you a lot, uh, but they just don't really lean into, into that. Well, that's I mean mm. that's fine but i don't know if that necessarily has to do with her finding out that he's that bruce wayne is behind everything you know like i feel like those are not those are two different things technically but well that would be the beginning of it i feel like bruce would not trust her when she finds out who he is yeah she's she represents a threat like why wouldn't that be part of that story yeah it's kind of where i'm at yeah but you know if it works for you that's fine too it's okay that you're wrong Uh, All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with Last Resort. Come on. The master key card. Okay, Last Resort, written by Stan Berkowitz, directed by Kurt Gaeta. And in this one, a new program for troubled kids is becoming a popular last resort among parents in Gotham. But the, quote, ranch is not everything it seems. When Terry's friend Chelsea Cunningham gets sent there, Terry goes to investigate, but ends up biting off more than he can chew. Mm. Um, it's not much of a ranch when they show up in orange jumpsuits surrounded no, by pretty, prison prison towers, right? Yeah, it's pretty clearly a prison. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know... Yeah. This one was weird for me because, like, the concept was good, and it, it, it felt kind of like a, <clears throat> it felt kind of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode a bit, where this it's affecting the kids in the school specifically, and it's about the the, the parents not really knowing how to deal with their kids and and mm-hmm. going uh, uh, too far in in handling them, um, and there mm-hmm. being a. Uh, uh, what's the word? Um, malicious uh, yeah. person that they're all listening to, but I don't know. It just it it all kind of came out of nowhere and went nowhere for me. And they never explained why this guy was torturing. Yeah, his kids. like they, there's no 
there's nothing behind him. Like he he doesn't have a except it, for John Ritter. Yeah, except for John Ritter. <laughs> if it was if it was a Buffy episode, it would turn out that this guy was like a demon or something. And you know, it, yeah. and, and he, there was just no there was nothing to him other than I guess he was yeah. just legitimately trying to make money by torturing children. Yeah, they I I thought either he's using them to commit crimes or he's placing cameras in them to, to monitor Gotham or you know you need to have a reason for it's not just about building a i mean that the facility looks expensive right you know? yeah like these are <laughs> this is this is the kind of place that does exist like these sorts of uh yeah uh, uh tough tough love ranch school type places do exist and they're terrible but like mm. uh <clears throat> They're 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 not really getting into any of that in this, and so it right. kind of falls flat. And so, and, if you're putting it in a show like this, you you kind of need to have some in-universe excuse mm-hmm. for it. Otherwise, it feels kind of strange. It feels like a reskin of the animated series episode where Bruce uh, loses his memory and uh, is working as a in a prison camp in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alfred comes and saves him. Right. So you have a guy who's hijacking people, moving them somewhere else, brainwashing them, or not letting them get back to their lives. And for But at least that guy was using them to dig and to mine or whatever the hell he had going on. But this whole episode feels like a reskin of that one, which I think is much better. Yeah, this is the kind of episode where um, one, of my, one of my pet peeves narratively is when you have a story where it's just about the character trying to figure out what's going on. Because mm-hmm. that usually doesn't lend itself to drama. It just ends up being like a, you know, walk down procedural. It's even, it's even, um, <clears throat> it's not even quite a procedural procedural because those at least have have different things going on. But there's there's the kind of story where it's just a character walking from one beat to the next, trying to figure out what is going on, and that stuff never really clicks with me. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing a great job of explaining it, but yeah, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I uh, you have a lot of things that you've flagged as pet peeves of yours, mm-hmm. and I admire that. Um, joking aside, like you don't like it when you uh, revisiting set pieces is one of your pet peeves. It's, correct? It's uh, unnecessary movement. Unnecessary movement. I don't think I watch or analyze things enough to have my list of pet peeves like you do yeah i don't i don't know i don't know why it's just stuff i i think like the movement one is i actually just talked about this on our coverage of picard because Mm -hmm. it really flagged me this week with with that but uh that one is something that i is in my my actual life bothers me as well like if i if i'm going somewhere to multiple places i don't like to have to retrace my steps to get to them (laughs) i try to plan it out Uh, so i'm going in like a a circle or something right i understand um and i don't know what it is i don't know if it's just it's just the efficiency of movement Mm -hmm. in that way um yeah and stories i find i find it i think it's in stories because it bothers me in stories because theoretically you want things to always be moving forward you know it when you're when you're telling a story right. and so when you have people going back and forth unless going back and forth is like part of the story and part of the right. like uh, uh, the style yeah. of the story it it just bu- yeah. it just bugs me i'm trying to think of a good example of a story that successfully has a character happen a, upon a uh, a setting and move on and then at the finale it's like oh shit 
we overlook the X and they have to go back and they uncover X. And then it's like this big Eureka moment um, in a way that wouldn't piss you off. But I can't think of anything <laughs> right now. <laughs> I had that problem with uh, Beyond the White Knight is I had um, the D- Powers is, uh, s- s- you know, building skyscraper is where he's doing all his evil research and building weapons and whatnot. And uh, I have the, I think I have the characters go back there like three times. Yeah. Um, which is not ideal, but that's just kind of the to get out of it i would have had to say like well he's got this site that's off off site and that's where the actual weapons are being built but i didn't really find it necessary because i just i had set up his building so well anyway so when i did the finale i thought well maybe they can come through the back maybe there's a part of the building that goes underground and attaches to the ocean and maybe that's kind of different enough that way we can see some boat stuff or i don't know Uh, i don't know how i would have redone it if i caught that sooner but i remember being well into working on that book when i realized oh man this is going to trigger clay's hatred of uh <laughs> returning to set pieces well i mean it depends right because like if it's <clears throat> if it's something like that where you're not returning to the exact same part of the building i don't think it bothers yeah. me as much yeah. um <clears throat> but when it's something like picard where they go to the ship museum and then mm-hmm. they leave and then the story just is forces them to have to go back to the ship museum then just to go mm-hmm. back to uh the finale that's right. when that kind of jumping back and forth bothers me they did it on mandalorian recently too where uh yeah. he flies he he <laughs> yeah, that does bug he me he goes yeah. to bocatan and then he goes from bocatan to mandalore, mandalore and then has to go back to Bo-Katan, and they just run through the same steps over. It's that kind of thing yeah. that bothers me, where it's like, I feel like there's a, a more efficient way we could have done this. Yeah, I agree. I was just finished watching the newest episode of Mando, <clears throat> and I don't get, like, is Mandalore abandoned? There was a, people didn't know that there was breathable air, but there's pirates living there who have amazing technology on their suits, but they... They go around on a sled, a giant like wind blown sled to get from A to B. Like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Aren't there people stopping off on the planet to like with tech? Like, why should anybody be stranded on a planet in this universe anymore? Like, there's clearly ships everywhere in Star Wars. Well, I think, and it's unclear to me. Like, wait, so there's the thing, a, a well underground. Like, I don't understand the nature of this planet. What happened to it, and why they can't just go back there? Yeah, there, it seems to be. It was they thought it was destroyed and and poisoned, but yeah. that doesn't seem to be the case. I guess right. Um, that stuff has been a little bit hard for me to track as well. but Yeah, it's silly. And I know this isn't a Mando podcast, but I really <laughs> enjoyed the first two seasons. This season feels like it's written for 12-year-olds. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're a kid, you'll like it because there's a lot of cool action and cool new vehicles and stuff. But it just doesn't speak to me like the first two did. It just seems very silly now. And when you put Baby Yoda in a mech suit, I'm, I don't know. I've got two feet out the door. I don't know. That was, that was the best thing they've done all season. <laughs> it's so it's so dumb <laughs> with a yes and a no button <laughs> fantastic i love that <laughs> you love it ironically you don't actually think it's a brilliant idea you just no that's a brilliant idea <laughs> why why is that not a brilliant idea it, it looks ridiculous he looks like krang yeah so what <laughs> okay yeah, he can con- he can he can talk to people with the yes and the no button. It's great. Mm-hmm. He's got a floating pod that seemed like it was a lot more efficient for him. Yeah, I I was thinking that when they put him in the in the in the robot, I was like, I mean, yeah. this now he's a, he can, well he can't not, do he can stuff him though. Over. Like he can't do anything from the pod. All he can do is float, right? They can add to the pod. 
put a yes and no button in there, put a laser gun and turret on top, bam, you got the best thing for Baby Yoda. Yeah. No, that's not I mean, what they, they went. Did. He's like, no, we need to get the android that sacrificed himself. I hate all androids except for that one android who's now a statue. So take down that statue and rebuild him because I need him. Yeah, that's And then the next time we see him, he's like, oh, we wiped his memory and now the baby Yoda's inside his belly. It's like, what? I thought you needed him. <laughs> you could have built him anything to float around in. You, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that stuff, once they revealed the uh, Grogu inside the robot... I, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that was something that they must have worked backwards from. Like, that was the end mm-hmm. point. And then they said, all right, how do we get to this? Because all of the stuff in involving that robot just did not track for me at all. Like, in the first episode right. where he's like, I need this specific robot mm-hmm. because it's a spelunking robot and can go down the cliffs and isn't affected by the, the gases yeah. on Mandalore. All right, well, you have to go get this chip. And then he goes to get the chip, and they're like, yeah, we don't have the chip. And he's like, all right, I'll take this other one that is completely impractical for the thing that I need to do and just go anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's so weird. And like when they met the robot, the robot was an assassin trying to kill him. Then they rewired his brain to make him friendly. And uh, then he died self sacrificing. Uh, and then Mando's convinced that they need him back. Like, okay, if you can reprogram any robot to be whatever you want, why not grab any robot and reprogram it? Um, or go to the fucking robot bar on Captain Blade, Planet Blade Runner mm-hmm. where all the robots drink after a hard day of work to complain about their bosses, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> grab one of them. Well, yeah, but, you know, those guys are just living <laughs> their lives. You, you need, a, you need a, a dead corpse of a robot that you can pilot, right. put Grogu in and have him pilot. Okay, I have my pet peeve now. I think I've zoned in on a thing mm-hmm. that it's equivalent to yours. I don't like it when the concept art of a movie uh, leads the script. Mm-hmm. So they basically go, uh, in Star Wars, uh, the one where they take the ship and they slam it into a bunch of other ships. Was that the fifth one? Uh, yeah, that was okay. uh, Last Jedi, I think. There you go. All right. So we some concept artist is like, man, look at this cool thing. Imagine if you drove a ship at hyperspace into another ship. What would happen? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it would explode. And what if we made it slow motion? What if it was amazing? This and that. Like, yes, we love it. But you need to make the script lead us there. So find a way to, to establish that bullshit, and we'll go with that. And I feel like that's happening in Picard, is they want to check off these boxes of we need these Easter eggs. We need to get the core TNG crew to the Enterprise D. Figure it out however the fuck you can through whatever weird science of Borg technology and uh, out, outlet, whatever they're called, the liquid people. Oh, the, the it's changelings? Like, yeah, the changelings. Like the concept art and the visuals are propelling the story, not the other way around. You know, it's like yeah. the classic thing of form over function or function over form. Yeah, yeah. I, I, have, I had noticed that um, when I had seen or I can't remember if I saw or or heard people talking about yeah. the new uh the JJ Abrams start Star mm-hmm. Wars because it yeah. sounded like that's sort of what they were doing a bit where they were yeah. just having people come up with concept art designs and then he would be like oh this is really cool where can yeah. we, where can we put this <laughs> let's stitch this together yeah and i i think that should happen to some degree you, when I start a book, I have a few set pieces that I definitely want to get through. But I don't want it to feel like I'm manipulating the plot to get my characters from A to B. Right. I'd like the plot to unfold naturally. 
and then you happen to go through these places. Like the story comes first, not the concept art. And I think about the sixth Star Wars movie when they're on this planet of salt, and it's all these like white. Uh, it's like a white desert, right? And then they I, have wait, these speeders. Wait, how do you know it's salt, Sean? Does one of the guys does one of the guys for no reason <laughs> touch it to his mouth and go, "Huh, it's salt," <laughs> or, or cocaine? <laughs> uh, no, but they they move some of the dirt, and there's bright red dirt underneath it. Yeah, um, they they talk about it very briefly, uh, and then they get to this battle, and then they have all the speeders. All the speeders have like this one antenna sticking down, and as the speeder races across the desert, it kind of like the tip of this uh, antenna like plummets down into the sand creating red streaks everywhere mm-hmm. and it looks really cool and they basically were like let's do it let's run with it and then you have this battle where you got these red streaks everywhere and you you got the movie posters which are using this and like the concept art loves this because you have like white and like red streaks everywhere there's a lot you can do visually but it makes no sense storytelling wise like why the fuck would they create speeders with sticks hanging off of them to dent the dirt as they travel along it's just meant to look cool and well, that's the kind of shit that bothers me that that's one where i don't have a problem with because they don't who knows what is going on on that planet like there's no need to get into it because it's just the place where they're having their finale so it doesn't i mean right. you want to make that look as interesting as possible and i don't mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't it was interesting on Hoth. You had the same sort of battle. You had a white background, and they managed to make Hoth interesting. This was like sandy Hoth with red sand underneath just to make it look a little cooler. Yeah. Like, it was clearly done for visual appeal. It had nothing to do with plot. And I know that's a small thing to—, to But it's that thinking that pervades bad storytelling when you're making the concept art as cool as it is. It's manipulating the plot, and it's not letting the plot unravel naturally. Yeah, I mean— does Hoth have anything to do? I mean, Hoth could have been any kind of planet, couldn't it? Right, but they didn't... What made Hoth interesting was the Adats and the giant, um, you know, you've got the speeders wrapping around legs, you've got the cable shooting, you've got these big... Sure. Uh, you know, that was the visual appeal. You don't need red sand on top of that. But this battle in this later movie, you had the same kind of setup but it wasn't enough to just do cool things. They needed to have this like red lines in the sand as well, just to make it look cool because mm-hmm. it looks cool in the poster. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm overstating it and I'm probably losing people for my argument <laughs> by doing so. <laughs> no, I do understand what you mean. I, I have noticed that, uh, it, it does the same thing with using swords in a plot. It does seem to me that there's a lot of, like I, I can, I can really, I've really started to be able to feel when, when you're getting the concept art shots, in these movies mm-hmm. in a way that I feel like you, you didn't used to. And it's it's a really weird yeah. sense to have. But th- yeah. there are every now and then I'm watching these things and they, they go to like a certain shot. And I'm like, oh, that's just the key art, concept yeah. art shot. They show it in the credits too. They tip their hand. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've always been curious about the stuff in, in the Mando credits, whether or not that is legitimately concept art or if that's something mm-hmm. that they've created specifically for the credits it might be both yeah like they might have they definitely have um a blueprint before they start shooting anything right so they've got to have an idea of what mando looks like as he's walking up to this great castle sure, or whatever yeah. it is tiny him sun's over here two moons whatever like that ex- that art exists somewhere that might not be the thing that you're shown at the very end credits but they're still leading the plot with concept art rather than 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think we don't have any idea what we're talking about because we <laughs> we're just really uh, <clears throat> spitballing ideas about how they make these things, which I honestly couldn't tell you if that was if that was right or not. But, but the, the the part that I'm focusing on is it makes the plot feel unnatural sure it feels like yeah. you're on a road and all the detours are making you take a left and a right it doesn't feel like this is a natural development it feels like you're being manipulated to get you to the next big set piece right and that's yeah. the part that bugs me like there are ways to do this stuff and have the set pieces but it feels natural rather than you're being manipulated towards them yeah that's the that's the thing that's been bothering me with the last few episodes of Picard is I feel like it's really yeah. You can really feel the hand of the writer forcing these things into position in ways that don't feel natural. That better said. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with so- uh, swords, just to, re- to cap us all up, swords are the same <laughs> thing for me. It's like, well, we need swords because they look cool and we'll just figure out a way to justify it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And I say uh-huh. that as a Highlander fan, but <laughs> as Highlander, the swords are justified because they have to take each other's heads. That's true. That's true. Highlander does not exist without swords. <laughs> Um, what cool. about uh, speaking of working from the concept art? Do you, how much concept art do you think they put into that one guard who had like the flying sleeping bag that shot lasers? <laughs> that weird one man flying thing where he's just like he looked like he was in a sleeping bag. He's just like sticking out of the top of it, <laughs> flying around like uh, up uh, vertical like Boba Fett's ship. It was. I was going to say that. It's so Imagine strange. Boba Fett's ship. Flying straight up and down in a weird position, but Bubba Fett is a giant. Yes. <laughs> and he barely fits in it. <laughs> it looked like some G.I. Joe. Uh, yes. Some, some rejected concept art from G.I. Joe. It feel from the like G.I. Joe, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I might draw that, actually. <laughs> that thing could use a redesign, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've got John Ritter doing the voice of the bad guy in this one. Uh, yep. uh, there's a different voice for Chelsea. It's Rachel Lee Cook now instead of the previous actress whose name was, is uh, hmm. Yvette Lowenthal. I'm not sure why they changed. but This new girl stands out more. I recognize this voice when she started speaking. You know, she, yes, she stands out, but I don't think she's the right temperament for chelsea because chelsea's kind of like the bubbly high school popular girl and rachel lee oh, cook yeah. is is very kind of somber <laughs> she doesn't really yeah doesn't really have the same energy level that i associate. so when she started talking i was like a that feels like a new voice and b i feel like she's on yeah. antidepressants now or something yeah she's a very drowsy sounding character yes but in fairness she does go through torture in this and true uh, sleep deprivation so you would be drowsy that's true but she was drowsy before she went into that camp <laughs> yeah maybe if they let them all in those flying sleeping bags they could all get some sleep the two things that really bug me about this is they uh half the most of the kids in terry's high school are gone mm-hmm. and no one yes. thought that that was a red flag yeah and then terry disappears for a long time and bruce doesn't come after him yeah and i know yeah. that the end bruce is like oh, i was getting ready to suit up it's like no that's not good enough you can't just hand wave that. Like this, the minute Terry doesn't check in, within one hour, Bruce should be going out to find him. And he's not super helpful in this episode because when uh, yeah. uh, Terry's like, "Well, if I get a recording, I can of what's going on. I can just send it to the cops." And he's like, "Well, well they're going to ask you where you got it, and then what are you going to say then?" And he's like, "I don't know. What do you do? Yeah. How do you do this stuff? Give it to Barbara. She knows you're Batman. Right? She'll find a way to, yeah." 
I mean, there's got to be a better solution than sending this kid in there. Sounds alone. to me, cranky old man Bruce Wayne thinks this place is great and that it shouldn't be taken down and that the kids need to be taken down a peg. Maybe that's why he lets Terry sit in there for a while to teach him a lesson. Yeah, maybe Bruce Wayne is actually funding this place without realizing it. No, he knows. He knows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in the very last shot, Terry walks out. He turns back at the building and he sees. Wayne Foundation's correctional facility. Yep. He's like, damn it, Bruce. Is it is it <laughs> is it Bruce or is it Terry who has the line where where they're like, it's too bad places like this need to exist? Because if it's yeah. if that's Bruce, I, if I was Terry, I'd be like, what? Yeah, what are you talking no, that, about? The very last shot, he and Terry are standing on a grassy hill for some reason, looking down at this facility, and they like forcefully inject some depth here by having Bruce go, it's too bad places like this need to even exist, and they both go silent. Yes. Yeah, that did not work for me. No. That was just like a, atomic diarrhea. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, the voice of Sean in this episode is uh, uh, David Faustino, who's Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Oh. Uh, I thought. Oh, nice I thought for a second the way that they were playing that character, they were possibly setting him up to be some sort of future Joker analog, because he definitely had that sort he of looks vibe. Like the Joker. Yeah. yeah, his pointy chin and nose. There was a few profile shots where I thought he looked like my Jack Napier. Yeah, and he's always he's got the big creepy smile a lot, and he's clearly yeah. twisted. <laughs> um, I think that's all I have to say about this. Yeah, uh, I think is so. there anything you'd want to draw mm. besides the GI Joe toy? Besides the GI Joe toy, I don't know. That's kind of an un 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 uh, interesting episode overall. Visually, I kind of felt, but. Have you? Here's a good question. Then, have you ever drawn a prison? I don't think so. Actually, yeah, I find them really fun. Um, even if it's a future prison with glass cages, or sorry, glass cells, or if it's an old school prison with bar, with you know bars and stonework, mm-hmm. I I don't know why I, I just really enjoy that stuff. It gives you because prisons are you know thematically very dark and scary so you can use a lot of shadows and lighting play with that kind of thing of course so it lends itself to the chiaroscuro you like the discipline and the order inherent in the prison i do (laughs) i do (laughs) um drawing old arkham was fun in um uh all of my white knight books but um i got to draw like just wrought iron just things sticking out and like things that you ever walk down the street at night through a city and you're going through like the the brownstone area and everyone has like wrought iron fences with pointy spikes on top. Oh yeah. And you think, man, if I was drunk and fell over, I could accidentally impale myself on one of these fences. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy to me how OSHA had allowed that to happen, which I don't think they were a thing before, (laughs) (laughs) but I would draw that shit all over the place, like sticking out sideways. Who cares? There's just so much uh, creative Liberty you can take and still have it look like Arkham. Yeah, no, that's it's, it's really a unique design element that existed in a very specific period of time, but still exists mm-hmm. everywhere. Like, it, yeah. Obviously, the, the 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 time difference is huge here, but like, you still see Roman columns, sort of, yeah. But not as often as you still see wrought iron, Victorian mm-hmm. style uh, affectations to to stuff. Yeah, and especially both being in New England, we do have like leftover Edwardian and Victorian. Yeah. Uh, design which it's, it, lasts for a long it's time it's kind of crazy how that in and of itself is 
all you need to get across like a time period. Like you mm. think about if you put columns on a building, okay, oh Roman, okay, absolutely. And if you put like a twisty spike with, with <laughs> like four twisty yeah. spikes connected by like other twisty spikes, you're like, oh yeah, Victorian yeah. England. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Gothic style kind of overlaps with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and especially in this country because we invented Halloween in a lot of ways, at least the version of Halloween that we come to know. Mm-hmm. And we go back to Ichabod Crane and what's scary and old in the U.S. Well, it's the pilgrims. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the devil in the forest. It's scary Native Americans. It's whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's sort of where this blossomed from was Gothic became. I wonder if Gothic architecture was considered scary in England or if Americans sort of thought it was scary because it was more of the unknown. You know? Yeah. Um yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not. I'm not sure when that that turns into something more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, God, the time period that that stuff was erected in is not exactly the most pleasant period in the of, right. of all. Plus, time, they but. had angry looking gargoyles hanging off the side. So I'm guessing that the builders originally thought, "Yeah, this stuff's kind of kind of creepy, yeah. but whatever. People are paying <laughs> us." <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting though. Uh, uh, um, H.P. Lovecraft is a very uh, American horror writer and yeah. his tales of uh, the ancient unknown always involve pilgrim era gambled roofs and like Western Massachusetts where, where, yeah. where things haven't changed in 200 years. And stuff. Exactly, man. And it, that's it is that's pretty, exactly what I'm getting it at. Is, it is pretty effective. It is, it is uh, cause yeah, you don't have that that legacy of just being around that long uh, yeah. in in America. Yeah, or at least you don't. You, have, you, uh, you don't if you're focusing on just the white people like he was. Yeah, I mean, you when you think about what's scary in the U.S. and you tend to think about things that are in old Massachusetts, you're thinking about old gable houses, yeah. um, small stubby brick buildings with tiny windows. The dark forest where you don't want to wander out at night, you know, Ichabod Crane. You even get into like the Adams family house, looks very Victorian. So all you need is a few marquee visuals that stick in your brain forever and you've got it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I would, there's probably only like a handful of things that just never go away, including, you know, orange pumpkins and ghosts and a few Halloween specials. Yeah. That, we really uh, we really managed to dial that shit in once uh once they had the sale of witch trials. It's like after that's like, oh no, we're good. We got it. We got the whole thing. Scary Oh yeah. Scary New England, we got it down. Yeah. It kind of culminated there, didn't it? Yeah. It's almost like you get you get out of your you go back in time, you get out of the DeLorean and you're looking around and you're like, hey everyone in the village, this is gonna be great for branding. <laughs> you have no idea. Billions of dollars are gonna be made off of what you're doing here today. I'm really but I'm by really all means don't, I don't know if you can hear you. me under the blood squirting out your ears after being pressed to death by rocks, but trust me, <laughs> this is gonna be great for tourism in about four hundred years. <laughs> oh man. Uh I'd give this one a three. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go two. It just yeah. it did it did nothing for me. Like the I I was kind of interested in the setup, but it was so unexplored and so mm-hmm. just kind of run of the mill. Yeah, it, it really it wasn't really working for me too much. Yeah, that's fair. So, um, do you want to talk about your? Uh, I do your Fargo convention. <laughs> so, um, I decided to take a 
break from Batman, not just to do Zorro, but to do some other projects too. There's another one I want to do with Clay called The Last Driver, which uh, we'll talk about some other time. And I'm basically starting my own imprint at this publisher, which I haven't announced yet. But my imprint will be called uh, Gear Shift. And it has like, you know, very much a logo that is very me, you know, kind of a circular gear shift skull thing and whatever. It looks like a Mad Max design. Um, and the idea behind it is I want to shift gears. I want to, I'm tired of working for mainstream comics where they do things the mainstream way. I'd like to try to do my own thing because I'm sort of getting frustrated with bad marketing, lack of cohesion, whatever is happening at normal comic book companies, you know. Anyway, so I'm looking to do my own books and maybe even license things outside of Zorro uh, and eventually bring in you, Clay, and some friends of mine to do books where I'll sort of help get them pitched and funded and then you guys can just take over from there. Um, so I was thinking about other properties that I'd want to license. You and I joked around about getting help, uh, Highlander at some point. I wasn't joking. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> so I started to think seriously, like, well, I... What would be the steps to get that? And I haven't looked into it yet. Um, with Zorro, it was very easy because the people that own Zorro at ZPI are very easy to work with and very uh, uh, understanding of the artistic process. So they're not looking to approve every line I draw. They're not looking to say yes or no and like get involved. Like they're happy to step back and let me do my thing as long as they approve it first. So having a good partner to work with for an IP is key. I could imagine, as much as I'd love to do a Hellblade, uh, a Blade Runner book, um, Blade Runner seems to be owned by a few people, and it seems to be kind of complicated. So uh, I would probably avoid complicated projects. I don't care how much I love Blade Runner. If it's going to be a pain in my ass, and I'm just not interested in doing it. So then I moved on to something like Highlander. I don't know who owns Highlander, but I was wondering how agreeable they'd be to let me letting me do this with uh, the Zorro plan just let me apply it to highlander next and just send them a whole bunch of money once the kickstarter comes in and blah 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 but um i'm also aware that uh adrian paul the guy who played the highlander in the 90s series still goes to conventions and he's even started a business of uh what's it called the sword uh classes Mm -hmm. it's called the sword experience and he'll go from uh not even large conventions he'll do small ones and you basically pay 100 or 300 bucks you go get a class, he brings you plastic swords and things to use, and he rents out a gym, and he basically, you get to learn a little bit about sword fighting from the Highlander himself. <laughs> and I'm very sort of, I was happy to see that, because a lot of actors, once they're out of the limelight, don't know what to do with themselves, and Adrian Paul seems to have made a pretty stout living for himself, you know? Mm. Uh, so, COVID hit, and now, you know, people weren't doing any shows for a while. Uh, and then... uh Shows are kicking back up, so I have people in my ear ask me which shows I want to do. Uh, normally, I don't do small shows because I'll be losing money. Like, I need to make a certain amount if I'm going to take time away from drawing, which makes me money. So I, I hate to hit people with appearance fees, but that's just sort of what I have to do sometimes. And someone asked me, well, what would be a way to get around it? What if we could get you in the green room and you could meet celebrities and blah, blah, blah? And I said, I might do a show if you could get me to meet Adrian Paul and I could take a sword class. Uh, that might be something worth doing, even though I wouldn't be making a lot of money. It would just be like a fun story. And then in my head, I'm like, I got to take clay. This will be awesome. <laughs> and then when they told you who else would be there, that's what really cinched it. <laughs> when they told you the she squatchers were going to be there. So I'm at a dinner with a friend who runs shows and uh, I say, 
is Adrian Paul doing any shows in the U.S.? So he makes a call, and he finds out that Adrian Paul is doing one show this year so far in Fargo, Minnesota. Uh, and I was like, wow, in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest. Uh, show me that, that that website. So I go, I look online to ValleyCon, is what it's called. And uh, I'm wondering, like, okay, who are the other big guests here? It's Adrian Paul and a trio of Sasquatch enthusiasts, ladies, known as the She-Squatchers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, I, it just sounds like something you would not want to be done to you in bed. <laughs> like, please do not She-Squatch me. <laughs> Don't squash shame. Don't squash the shame. So, uh, so I told my friend, like, do you think they would have me? And he goes, Yeah, I think they would take <laughs> you over. She squatches and Adrian Paul. Like, you're going to be their biggest guest. It's a hotel show, right? Meaning, it's in a hotel lobby with bad, smelly carpets at a Holiday Inn, probably. Like, it's Fargo for Christ's sake. So I'm like, you know what? I might be into this. And uh, it takes place right around New York Comic Con, which I was going to skip anyway this year. Uh, so I, I texted Clay or called you and I was all excited about it. And I think you were planning to go to New York, mm-hmm. uh, to make money. And I was like, well, I hope they don't give you table. That way you have to come to Fargo with me. <laughs> if they, if I don't get into New York and I don't have to pay to go to Fargo, I will go to Fargo. <laughs> what if you paid for, well, let me explain the rest of my idea here uh-huh. to the, to, to the listeners. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. But I know I'm going to get the show to introduce me to Adrian Paul. Um, so they're basically going to be like, hey, Adrian, there's another big creator here. He's a Batman artist. He's a big fan. We're actually going to put him in one of your classes because he's drawing Zorro and Batman and he loves swords. So he might come up to you and say hi. So put me on Adrian's radar. So when I say hi, it's it's Sean Murphy. He kind of knows a little bit about I'm not just some weirdo neckbeard coming up to him like he gets all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I'd like to gauge is like, what is his interest in helping me do a Highlander comic? It might be zero. Mm-hmm. He might not legally be able to. He might not have the power, but he has. He must have his own likeness rights. So when you draw uh, characters from a, like Star Trek or whatever, Patrick Stewart has likeness rights. So yeah. no comic comes out without Patrick Stewart's people looking at it and making sure you didn't draw him with too much hair mm-hmm. or like a big nose or whatever. It sounds like a silly thing, but this is something that goes on. So I, my first question to Adrian, if he's going to sit down and listen to me, is do you own your own likeness rights? Can I do a Highlander comic with you looking like the main character? Um, or do I have to go to somewhere else to get approval? Like how tricky is that subject? And he might say, I'm not interested in all, which is fine. He might say, I don't really know, but here's who you got to talk to. These people can be tricky, or he could say, these people could be easy. Or he could say, I love this. Let me contact them and see what we can do. Like, I have no idea how this is going to go. Sure. And I imagine if you're Adrian Paul, for 25 years, you've been getting nerds coming up to you going, I have a really great idea for a Highlander story, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So it's going to be a lot and of you're just another, another one on that list, right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's my worry. Um, so I don't know. And, yeah. you know, his involvement in my mind could be, could I pay you to do a cameo to help promote the book? Could he write a miniseries in the back? Or I don't know. I mean, it'd be cool just to see what's possible. And in Fargo, North Dakota, sorry, it's not Minnesota, yeah. it's North Dakota, uh, there ain't a lot else for him to do. So it's basically like me and him in the small town. I will find him. <laughs> I will drag him down to a bar, and I will see if I can get him to listen. Much like the Highlander himself always being tracked down by someone who's trying to get something out of him. <laughs> 
And I want you to come with me, Clay, just to bear witness to whatever's going to happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think the readers, listeners right now want that to happen, too. Is that way you and I can tell them the story of how well it goes I, or how well it I mean, it I would go. love for that to happen. <laughs> I would love to be there for this. If the show... Would you pay for your own plane ticket, at least? If I could get you a free table mm-hmm. uh, and a free hotel... Uh, yeah, I mean, assuming assuming that I wasn't going to do New York, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Why not? And free sword lessons with Adrian Paul, which is worth three hundred bucks. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think we should do it, and I think we should see what, if we can get our hooks into him and see what's possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Do you think he knows how to use nunchucks? I hope so. I want to take the nunchuck class. <laughs> hit myself in the balls over and over again by accident <laughs> i'm sure he i'm sure he wants that too yeah yeah that would be that would be uh, something um i'm excited man my wife's coming too and uh he doesn't have many hot blondes who take his classes so if she takes the class with him she might be able to like get through his uh guard a little bit more than some <laughs> neckbeard white guy you know what i mean oh man <laughs> You're gonna get and you're gonna very get good. pepper sprayed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is very good at getting her hooks into people. Like she's a bit of a sociopath that way. She'll be like, "Who's that guy? I'm gonna get that guy to like me," you know. And she does it through like personality matching and uh, <laughs> whatever kinds of silly tactics that you use. <laughs> She's very interested to see if I can pull this off or whether it's going to blow up in my face. Yeah. And I just felt, felt it would be more interesting if you were there with me. <laughs> it, it definitely would be interesting, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I mean, it's the next chapter in our, our long-running story of how do we get the comic rights to Highlander, so I'm, I'm, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> I feel like you should be more enthusiastic about this, Clay. When, I, when you were telling me that you might not be able to do it because you have New York, I was a little heartbroken. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm not at the point in my ca- career where I have the cachet to just <laughs> go to Fargo, North Dakota, as opposed to New York. I'm sorry. I just felt like your reaction would be, I will stop anything I'm doing to come with you to Fargo to meet the Highlander, If it Sean. was literally like, that's, that's any other kinda... weekend, I would say that. Okay. All right. So if, I think if, you want a poll, be... if you want to use your poll to get the entire show moved by a week... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I can do that. I can get my poll to have them deny you a table, probably. Oh, that's fine, too. That solves, <laughs> solves my problem. Oh, man. Some insider baseball. I, I am at the point where I'm able to sometimes move people who I don't like. Uh, I'll say, uh, oh, I'm over in this table. Can you make sure that you're giving me a good spot? Because I have a long line. That I don't want to clog up traffic. Mm-hmm. So shows are obviously agreeable to that. And if I say, uh, can you get Corinne and Clay next to me, too? Because I just like being around my friends, and I can kind of lasso people around me, which is kind of nice. Because then you have neighbors that you like. And the third thing I could do is go. I don't like that person. Can you move them as far away from me as possible? <laughs> <laughs> and twice I've I've pulled that. I've played that card, and I feel like a dick. But is that why it is what is it is? Is that why you're so often in a room by yourself? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I would love the superpower in real life to move people I don't like away from me. <laughs> Like Jean Grey, yeah, she can do yeah, that. That's pretty. That's all she does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh 
okay. I know people are going to be asking now, like, who the hell is Sean Murphy? Uh, <laughs> They're going to be pulling away from pulling him. up old layouts, seeing who is <laughs> the exact opposite from him on the other <laughs> side of the show. Yeah, out of all the creators, so and so is the furthest distance from Sean on average. If we, so do, we if think we, that Sean, if we draw the line from Sean to the furthest part away, <laughs> it's the guy who plays Big Bird. That can't be right. <laughs> Oh, man. This is good. I hope that you and I can get to Adrian and do a selfie and put it online. And people who listen to this will know why that photo is important. Yes. And I hope I get to the point where I can also move away from people I don't like. And I'll make sure that the table with the anti-nunchuck legislation is on the complete opposite side from where I am. Oh, man. Anyway. trying to imagine. You're not grudgy like I am. Like I don't think there's anybody you would do that to. Eh, not really. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I think that's going to do it for today. Um, that works. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And uh, we'll be back next time. Actually, this is coming out on, I think, right before. So if you want to come down and see both of us at WickedCon in Boston, uh, that's mm-hmm. the weekend of April 21st. So I think it should be out a couple days before that. Or, or maybe it's the same weekend. I don't know. Maybe we completely missed the yeah. window. Either way, hope to see you yep. at WickedCon. And if we did, or it's great to Fargo. see you. Or Fargo. Yes. Mm. All right, guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next time with Armory and Sneak Peek. Thank <laughs> you.